we're a week out from this thing and we're talking about what's going to be on CNN, which no one does anymore. So that is, you know, that is the good news for them. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, May 2nd. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about a just-announced CNN town hall with none other than Donald Trump. The former president and CNN were once pretty much sworn enemies, but there's a new president at the cable network and a new Republican primary afoot. Dylan outlines the stakes. And we talk about the coming bankruptcy at Vice News, once a high-flying digital brand that ultimately failed on its promise to redefine media for young people. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. Happy birthday to my brother, Michael. Hopefully you're listening, although um, I'm not sure he's interested necessarily in a podcast about Donald Trump right now. But that's what we're talking about with Dylan Byers, who's here today to talk media. We're going to talk about Vice News reportedly being close to bankruptcy uh, later in this episode. But first, some interesting news popped late Monday. Former President Donald Trump will participate in a CNN presidential town hall next week in New Hampshire. CNN announced this. CNN This Morning anchor Caitlin Collins, who used to cover the Trump White House, will moderate the event. Trump will take questions from New Hampshire voters. Dylan, this is interesting. CNN was very anti-Trump for, shoot, four years? After being (laughs) pro-Trump in the primaries. Uh, You know, Trump hostile. Uh, (laughs) New president Chris Licht has made an effort to get back to the middle. Um, They've met with the RNC about debates. This was surprising, though. I was surprised both that CNN would do this, but almost more surprised Trump would do this. Yeah, I mean, well, look, first of all, when this you think about what the new administration that is the sort of uh, Chris Licht, David Zaslav administration has tried to do. And, and they're, they're noted for one, trying to move CNN past the, the Trump era mm-hmm. and then two, the toning down of breaking news, you know, and, and, f- and five alarm fires. And then, like, lo and behold, there's, like, this breaking news press release that CNN is going to have Donald Trump, and it very much felt like a throwback to older times. Look, I I think here's the reality, and in in fact, I think we don't mention this enough when we talk about um, what CNN was and then what it became and what it is now trying to be. Trump, as we like to say here at Puck, Trump is a complexifier. He is a complexifier for every single media organization. Uh And the truth is, Chris Licht, in trying to reposition the network as something that has broad appeal and and is neither Republican nor Democratic, neither liberal nor conservative, 
if you are going to cover the presidential race in a responsible way, you should do town halls with all of the candidates and say what you will about what happened in uh, on January 6, 2021. Say what you will about the way that Trump treated the media in the past. Say what you will about the fact that he is currently under indictment. He is way ahead out of the pack. And it would be a very odd posture for CNN in its former or current iteration to not mm-hmm. do something like this. Uh, look, the, the, as much as uh, those guys love to talk about like their, you know, C- CNN's moment, you know, it's rendezvous with history and their and their nobler ambitions. There are also some ignoble things that are happening right now, which we can't ignore. It is a network that is in desperate need of greater relevance and engagement after one year of, of one very tumultuous year, as we talk about often here. And Trump ostensibly is going to give it to them. He's going to give them very big ratings on one night, Mm -hmm. but it would be, we should not ignore the risks at play here. Trump has the power. Look at Megyn Kelly, look at Jim Acosta in, in many different ways. Trump has the power to completely upend the careers of the journalists with whom he engages. Uh And this is going to be a very big test for Chris Licht from a programming point of view. And it is going to be an even bigger test for Caitlin Collins, who at 31 is the fastest rising star at that network. And she, as I've, as I reported recently, she's probably bound for prime time. She fits very well into the sort of strategic pivot back to the center. I wouldn't be surprised if she played some role in, in, in even getting Trump to do this. I know there are a lot of people behind the scenes mm-hmm. who you and I both know well from our days there. And I just think that she's going to have to do this live and she's going to do it in real time. And Trump is a wild card. And I think everyone at CNN who's really excited about this is also sort of going to start losing a little bit of sleep between now and next week in terms of wondering how this is going to shake out for them and for this homegrown talent that they're that they're really staking a lot on. Yeah, I mean, Chris has a lot invested in Caitlyn, um, not just the morning show, but as a network star a next generation network star a millennial in an industry filled with Xers and well, some boomers, I guess. And I say this about myself, too, and I say this in a good way. Caitlin speaks Republican. She mm. covered Republicans. She worked for the Daily Caller. She's from the South. You know, I, I used to say when I was covering the GOP for CNN, like, my base was Republican grandmas. Like, they love me. I love talking. <laughs> got great quotes from them. Got good sources down there. Speaking Republican doesn't mean you're pro-Republican. It just means you kind of understand the impulses of the Republican voter. You are more willing to have conversations with said voters uh, and swing voters, the people who decide elections. And you're not reflexively just like throwing darts at your target. And I do think, though, that like Trump does present a unique complication. Trump knows Caitlin, but... There are other people at CNN who have done these things before that could have been other choices. So it's a little bit of a a big test. But, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying you're saying this right now, but like I, I remember like when Kristen Welker was named as a debate moderator back in 2020. And I, I think some of this like smacked of sexism that like, oh, like she couldn't she wasn't up to the task to do this debate. I mean, she had, I think she moderated the best debate. 
I mean, Chris Wallace was the one who moderated the worst debate. <laughs> um, and so it's a it's a career maker, I think. I think less of a career breaker if it goes bad. I mean, Trump went after Megyn Kelly. He also made Megyn Kelly extremely famous. Sure. No, look, I, I don't I don't. I mean, you never know with Trump. I don't think anyone's career is is ending here or anything. I guess what I'm saying is, to your point, there are some experienced hands in the building, right? Mm-hmm. And I, on, mm-hmm. I only wonder what, you know, I, I can only imagine what, what Jake Tapper thought, you know, <laughs> when he saw that, this, that, he, that he wasn't going to get this one. And I guess the point I'm making is you've got this talent right now who is clearly uh, priority number one in terms of how CNN is thinking about creating its, you know, its next generation of stars. Uh And very early on, she is going in for a very big test. And I think that I'm not saying that it jettisons anyone's career. What I am saying is that it has uh, something of this magnitude, given the Trump factor, has the ability to change how we think about her as a journalist for the better Mm -hmm. potentially like massively for the better like oh my you know or or potentially Mm -hmm. for the worse and it's gonna so i i just think it's gonna be an interesting test i think by and large the great news for cnn is we're a week out from this thing and we're talking about what's going to be on cnn which no one does anymore so that is you know that 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 is the good news for them but one of the critiques that the that the Warner Brothers Discovery, Chris Lick, their critique of the former administration uh-huh. probably underappreciates how hard it is to program around Trump. And I think mm. what's going to happen now, starting next week and for the next 18 months, is they are going to they're going to live it firsthand and they're mm-hmm. going to wrestle with a lot of the same problems. And they're not going to do, you know, this is an Apple. They're not gonna. They're not gonna have showboating and grandstanding. Fine. They got rid of Don Lemon. They got rid of Brian Stelter. But mm. they're gonna have. They're gonna be pushed to figure out how you program around a guy who is willing to go to war with the media, willing to spout conspiracy theories, willing to just say things that flat out aren't true, like pretend like something never happened, and so. How do you fact check that? And and I'm just saying, I think I think Caitlin is extraordinarily capable, but I think the stakes are really high very early in her career, and I think that's hmm. going to make it. I think that's going to make it from everyone's going to be watching Trump, but from here in my little corner of the world watching the media, I'm going to be watching to see how she does and what the reaction to that is, and I think that will be very interesting. Let's step back from just the personnel interests here and talk about some of the criticism I'm already seeing here. Obviously. Trump was deplatformed from like almost every <laughs> tech platform. CNN, you know, made a point of saying we're not going to spread lies during his administration. And, and really since then, like not totally covering every truth social post, etc. But here you have the network choosing to put on somebody who could spread disinformation, lie, whatever. Obviously, the onus falls on Caitlin here to correct those things. And obviously, we shouldn't forget the New Hampshire primary is famous for these town halls. Voters there want to touch and feel their candidates. And DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is Trump's chief rival, um, is doing better there than he is in national polls. I mean, that's important proving ground for him. Do you think CNN's going to get a lot of shit for doing this? Well, sure. I mean, they'll definitely get shit from the from the usual suspects of 
people on the left who, who give shit. them shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Twitter, but, you know, whatever. I mean, I think, again, you can't cover... Well, you can do whatever you want. But if mm-hmm. you're going to cover a presidential election and the guy who is the front runner... By the way, after like this whole interregnum that you're talking about where he sort of disappeared for a while and mm-hmm. went off to the conspiratorial, you know, batshit crazy Netherlands, and then he came back in full force and he came back because he was indicted and you can not cover that out of some sort of like moral high ground about what right. happened back in January on January 6th. But if you were trying to do what this new CNN is, is it is covering the news without without making those sort of moral statements. And these are the facts on the ground. The facts on the ground are like Trump's the front runner. He may very well end up being the nominee. And you have to reckon with that. And I think that how pissed off the CNN critics get is going to be totally contingent upon how it's handled in real time, how it's handled after the fact. And that, you know, again, like test for Caitlin, but test for the entire network. And... You and I, again, having worked at CNN, knows how the kind of knows what this looks like. But you're going to have in probably in a truck outside of the venue, you're going to have I'm going to guess Eric Sherling, who's a who's a (laughs) high ranking producer there at CNN, is going to be in the truck and he's going to be in Caitlin's ear. And historically, right standing right behind him, you would have had Jeff Zucker. And now that's going to be, I, I assume, if he's <laughs> if he's learned a thing in the last year, that will be Chris Licht. And so, yep. like, this is on them. And yes, for the 99% of the 450,000 people who watch CNN these days, they're not going to know any of that. But the people in the know are going to know, and the people at Warner Brothers Discovery are going to know. And this is a big, big moment for them. Fun Peter fact, Eric Sherling, aforementioned high-ranking executive, used to be executive producer of The Situation Room when I was a, just a associate just a producer, wee, I think. Just, just a, a wee, wee producer. Yeah, wee in your early producer. days, before you became a celebrity. <laughs> Eric Sterling blessed me with my first ever Blackberry back in like 2006 or 2007. Oh, uh, you know, there was a budget Blackberry. for Blackberries, but it was a status thing in DC, <laughs> and I got my first Blackberry. Thank you, Eric Sterling. Um, I'll take a quick break, Dylan, and when we come back, I want to ask you about the decline and fall of Vice News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to the powers that be, everybody. I know it's Tuesday. I know we did Media Monday yesterday, but there's so much media news lately. I got a push alert, Dylan, right before this taping from the New York Times that Vice, Vice Media, uh, is nearing bankruptcy. This comes after Vice News, Vice News Tonight, rather, was closed down last week. There are investors circling like vultures. John and I have talked about the end of the digital media 2010s era a lot lately. Um, I just finished Ben Smith's book, Traffic, which is directly about this kind of stuff. It's really good. What's your take on this? Is Vice done? 
Yes, almost certainly. I mean, sold for parts. You, you're right. And I, you and John had a great conversation, and it, it is an, a very important piece of that larger story about where we are, what, an era that is ending in digital media, and perhaps a new one that is beginning. At the same time, uh, it's really useful to sort of pull back and look at all the ways in which the Vice train wreck is unique, mm-hmm. because just pulling out and looking at, at its history, you've got in Shane Smith, one of the arguably greatest con artists in the history of media, who effectively went to some of the biggest legacy media executives, take Bob Iger, Rupert Murdoch, uh, Tom Freston uh, at MTV, and convince them solely by virtue of just being like too cool for school and having that sort of like generational FU attitude and then having the ability because he like clearly just, I don't know, didn't care, was such a savvy huckster to like, you know, entice these guys in this idea that they were like part of some really cool wave of the future and you'd go to Vegas and pop $20,000 bottles of wine. And these are like, we're talking about like Rupert Murdoch and Bob Iger, some of the smartest executives in the business who are lured by the idea that he had the special sauce to deliver the hardest, most coveted audience, which is like young dudes. And the whole thing, as has been chronicled in in, uh, New York Magazine and, and other places, was more or less a sham. He didn't have the audience that he said he did. He didn't have the engagement that he said he did. He had a very good story to tell about capturing the zeitgeist that if you actually looked under the hood, wasn't true. And right around the time that that I think was becoming apparent, they brought in Nancy Dubuque from Mm -hmm. A&E Networks to be the sort of grown up in the room. And she herself was her own sort of like con artist because as I've started learning this week from, from some sources I've been talking to, she like couldn't manage a P&L. She couldn't hit a budget at A&E Networks. And it sounds like she couldn't hit a budget at Vice either. And so fortunately for the Igers and the Murdochs, like they got out before everything crashed. Yeah. But it will be remembered now because we have seen this this end, this like slow crawl of Vice to the end toward bankruptcy. It has been happening for so long. It's like, do we even care anymore? But I think once I, you know, when I talk to people in this industry and they sort of walk me through what those early days looked like, it is sort of incredible how big Vice once was, how big it was in the eyes of legacy media, and then how much it crashed and burned. Yes, because of changes in in the underlying structure of our business, but also because it was sort of a paper tiger from the beginning. And it and and that that day has finally come. When when that when all that has been exposed, and I think that is the way Vice will be remembered in history. I will, yeah, I remember something you said, which is that I mean Shane's power was convincing other media and tech executives that this was like a direct shot to reach millennials, and th- this is just sort of like it, it just reminds me of those like very insider elite conversations where if you poke your head up outside of the bubble look around, talk to people, ask a normal person, when was the last time you watched any Vice content? And I was, again, I, I told John this too Never. Um, on the podcast, you know, ask a millennial, look at their phones. What do you think? Never. Maybe I watched that one thing on YouTube. Some people used to watch some stuff here and there, 
But man, like what a snow job. It's just crazy. Such I mean, it reminds me, there's job. a, there's a, a Ben in his book talks about, this is not a similar snow job, but like Vice also missed the moment. I mean, they could have sold for like substantially less than maybe Shane's sky high aspirations at some point back in like 2015, 2016. He still made a shitload of money anyway. But Ben has this thing in his book about Jonah Peretti and, and uh, Bob Iger doing a little bit of a dance with Disney, maybe trying to acquire BuzzFeed back in, I don't know when, like 2015, 2016 for like $450 million or something. You know, right. if you, in hindsight, great. But Jonah said no for a variety of reasons. <laughs> you should read the book to see that. But, yeah. you know, man, the other thing, that's, I need to give a shout out to like, I work in TV content video. That place fucked over so many freelancers, production people, delayed paychecks, you know, just a lot of stuff that I've heard through the grapevine because I've worked with a lot of freelancers over the years and I've had friends that have worked there. And I texted one of them today and <laughs> he wrote back, they deserve to take this L. <laughs> you know, yeah. an editor who, yeah. who's, who's worked with them over the years. So there's the Titanic, like high finance angle of this, but also just, uh, yeah, man, no, that's I wish people that, could have seen through right. this. Yeah. You know, when I'll, I'll just one one more little footnote to this. I'm thinking about Nancy here. I would argue that there might be a like indirect correlation between the amount mm. of times an executive appears on the cover of a trade magazine and their actual <laughs> aptitude for the job that they do. Like there was such a cult of Nancy as this and I mean and of course before that a cult of Shane mm-hmm. but but it was so much about like you know Shane's this badass irreverent like you know guy who uh, you know is cooler than everyone else and understands what people want and then there were all these profiles about how Nancy's like the smart you know person in the room who gets it and is and none of it was true and it was never true it wasn't true from the beginning and it's just, I don't know, it's its a real sign about, I've written and covered many stories like this where there's a generational thing that happens and the older guard gets so excited about capturing a younger audience that they are willing to believe a lot before they ever bother to check under the hood. And mm-hmm. yeah, don't, you know, I guess, I guess the lesson here is don't, <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe everything you read in that glowing profile. I'm muttering quibby under my breath here. Yeah. Well, Dylan. That, that, yeah. <laughs> I will uh I will be watching the CNN Town Hall with you and texting throughout, I'm sure. Thanks for joining us, man. Uh, all right. Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.